is the church. Last week, we made a case for a formal, identifiable church membership, and we did so in four points. So just to quickly recap, we first learned that there are a people that are joined to the church or number, and they are joined through baptism. Baptism is the door through which we publicly enter the church. We, When we confess our sins, <clears throat> repent of our sins, place our faith in Christ inwardly, we then take that inward conviction and go public, as it were, in the waters of baptism. Those who do this, do these things, are added to what is known as the, the visible church. Those who do these things are added to what is known as the visible church. That is, those who have publicly, that's why it's visible, publicly confessed, repented, and placed their faith in Christ alone. Secondly, we learned that these baptized ones obey the command to submit to the teachers and or teachings and oversight of elders in the local church. So those who have been baptized, added to this number, they submit to the teachings and oversight of elders in the local church. Members submit to leaders. Leaders teach and lead members. Hear that? Members submit to leaders. Leaders teach and lead the members. Thirdly, we learn that those who are baptized, those who submit to their leaders, are also accountable to the local church. As members of the local church, and we'll get into this more, we don't get to come to church, speak to no one, accountable to no one except for the elders, and carry on church life that way. That's not the way God has designed his church to be. We are Christ has designed his church that we are not only accountable to leaders, but we are also accountable to one another. Uh, We do not judge outsiders because outsiders are not a part of the number, but rather we, we judge and we are judged by those who are insiders, those who are in the church, those who have uh, publicly joined Christ, been joined to Christ in baptism and who have joined the joined a particular local church where we, they, have submitted to oversight. They do not, we do not live our lives separated from the rest of the Christian body. We are joined to the body, and we seek to function as a part of the body, not as separated members. We join the body, and we are functioning as a part, an active part of the body. There is uh, no part on your body right now that is not Functional. It is there for a reason. Whatever that part may, part may be, it is there for a reason. There is no insignificant part. Finally, we learn that when all of these things are summed up, when we sum up all of the points that we came up with, or that the Bible commands, our conclusion is that the Bible teaches that there is a formal, identifiable church membership, and it is mandatory. That is, Formal, identifiable church membership is a command from Christ. And if we love Christ, we will obey his command. Uh, It is his command to the church. If we love him and say that we are a part of this church, a part of his church, we will obey his command. And we must. 
and we must. It is mandatory. And it is also, as we said, voluntary. Why do we say voluntary? Because no one can make you do these things. No one can make you become a member of a church. No one can make you obey these commands. If you love Christ, you will love to obey these commands. You will willingly obey these commands and you will do so with great joy. Knowing that the commands of Christ, they're not burdensome. They're for our good. And they are ultimately for his glory and also for our joy. They're for our good. Uh, We ended that sermon by briefly encouraging the church to do this, to exercise your membership. And today we will discuss what it means to exercise your membership in broader terms. Brothers and sisters, those who have who are members of Christ Church, you have been gifted. You have been blessed with certain benefits that are a gift. They are a privilege And they are your responsibility to exercise within the context of the local church. These gifts, these privileges, these responsibilities are truly that. And they are for everyone who is an identifiable member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This evening, we will consider seven, seven gifts. Someone just made a face. Seven gifts, seven privileges, seven responsibilities for the members of the local church. And we are essentially asking the question, what do members do? We have we have been working toward what is the church. And now we are asking the question. uh, We we answered that question, right? What is the church? We answered that question. We said uh, those who are added, those who are members of Christ's church. We talked about that last week. And then today, what do they do? What do they do? Just a quick note. We will be discussing some of the things that we've already discussed uh, at great length, so we will not go as in-depth in some of the points <laughs> as, uh, as we could, because we've dealt with many of them before, okay? Number one, all of these are going to begin with, it is our gift, privilege, and responsibility. All of these will begin with, it is our gift, privilege, and responsibility. So number one, it is our gift, privilege, and responsibility to be dedicated to worship. It is our gift, our privilege, and our responsibility to be dedicated to worship. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. We we won't turn to many uh, passages. We will will reference some, but we will uh, not turn to all of them. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. This is the word of the Lord. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. And had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions. And they were sharing them with all. As anyone might have need. Day by day continuing with one mind in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together. With gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Those who were being saved. Let's focus back on verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, these people, they have confessed their sins. They have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ. They have been baptized. They have been added to the number that is the local church. And what did the number do? They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teachings. Look at verse 42. Fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. What did they do? If we sum up the things that they were faithfully doing, consistently doing, they were uh, committed to teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, prayer. We could say they were devoting themselves to, here it is, worship, hearing God's word. Let me say this, as everybody is hopefully uh, comfortable. Hearing God's word is worship. The Lord's Supper is worship. Prayer is worship. Growing up in the church that I grew up in, we were taught that the only portion of worship was the so-called praise and worship. That's the song portion of the service. So we would say, uh, we're going to be late for praise and worship. As if praise and worship is separated from the rest of the regular worship of the saints. When we gather in Christ's name, we are worshiping. When God's word is going forth as it is now, this is worship. Your listening is worship. This is why we must be good listeners and not be easily distracted. This is not a a television show that we could say, I'm going to go get a drink real quick. I'll come back. Tell me what happens. This is worship. This, as the word of God is going forth, is an act of worship. All the different aspects that are related to our time of gathering or time of worship, they are worship. Not just when we sing. That's an aspect of worship, an element of worship, but that's not the only time of worship. Amen. Maybe that might be new for all of us, but if it is, then praise be to God. The church devoted themselves to worship, and they were committed to to meet together and to persist in worship. They were committed to meet together and to persist in that worship. They committed to, to gather with the church. Listen, when the church gathered for worship, on the day the church On the day Christ appointed the church to gather for worship, which is what? The Lord's Day. One of the commitments that we have made, we have made in our constitution. If you're a member of this church, one of the commitments that you have made as a member of this church is that we are committing ourselves to be present during the stated meetings of the church. That is, we commit ourselves to be present when the church gathers for worship. As a member, you, I committed to that. I committed to be here for worship. You committed to be here for worship in our constitution. We all said, yes, we will do this. When we gather for worship, for teaching, for praying, for fellowship, for the Lord's Supper, those who are a part of the number must see that, that gathering, as their gift, as their privilege, and as their responsibility. As their responsibility. Why? Because I've committed to do that. It's my gift. It's for me. It's my privilege. It's for me. But it's also my responsibility. It's for you. See that? We, when we come to worship, it's not just me-centered. It's Christ-centered. And us-centered. We are a part of that number. But it's not just about us. That is, we who are members have agreed in obedience to God's word. And we've also made a commitment to one another to gather 
for worship when the church gathers for worship. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this, and this is to the evening crowd, so the answer is going to be yes. Are you making a maximum effort toward your commitment? I can honestly say for those who are here, yes, you are. Yes, you are. It is your gift from Christ. It's your privilege of Christ, from Christ, and it's your responsibility from Christ. Uh, side note, all of the points that we're going to say tonight, all seven of them, they are all commitments that we've made in our Constitution. They are all commitments that we've made in our Constitution. Membership. Membership in the church is not like membership in a gym. Where you go when you like, or you go when you feel up to it, or depending on how or what's going on. Uh, membership in the church is devotion. Membership in the church is persistence. It is a perseverance by design of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must persevere. We must be committed. It's not, I don't feel up to it today. I'll catch it next week. It's not like when we go to the gym and say, today is an ab day. Today's a shoulder day. Today's a leg day. No, today, when we gather for worship, it's a soul day. And your soul needs this worship every Lord's day. You don't get to neglect a part of the body. It all needs attention. Christ has designed his church this way. We are called to persist and to devote ourselves to worship in the local church. And this, my dear brothers and sisters, it is your gift. It is your privilege. It is your responsibility. And it's also your liberty. It's been provided for you by Christ. Uh, He's given this for us on a regular basis. And that's why I think some of us... We neglect it so so easily because it's there, we think. I'll catch it on the next one. The public means of grace is provided for the church every single Lord's Day. But listen, it's the means of grace. It's the, 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 the way through which Christ channels grace to his people. Why would we treat it so nonchalantly? Why would we treat it so as so, so blasé, as if it, it's no big deal? It is Christ's gift to the church. This gathering for worship is designed to be a great improvement and benefit for our souls. It it, it is if Christ, each Lord's Day, he sets out a banquet. And he invites all those who are a part of his family to come and feast upon all that is his, that he's given to them, and be satisfied. And there are those who say, no, not today. Well, we need to ask ourselves about those, and hopefully it's none of us. Why don't I want to come and be satisfied? What am I finding more satisfaction in other than what the, the other than the banquet that Christ has laid out before me? The banquet is provided with the consistency and centrality on Christ. And if you are a part of his number, no one can take that away from you. And what do I mean by that? No one can take that away from you. It's your liberty in Christ. He's provided a place for you where you can exercise freedom in Christ. And you don't have to be bound by what our relatives, what our sports teams, or what our employers, or what anyone else wants, demands from us. Listen to what I mean by that. This day has been gifted to us as a gift, privilege, and responsibility by Christ for our joy, for our good. Therefore, if our families, let's jump on this, attempt to place guilt on us for gathering with the saints rather than gathering with the party that they're having on the Lord's Day evening and to to make us feel guilty, to schedule something that conflicts with our regular time of worship. 
we are free from their guilt trip. Why? Because my mother is not my head. So Mother's Day will have to take a back seat to the Lord's Day. My father, uh, if he were even here, he's not my head. Therefore, Father's Day will have to take a back seat to the Lord's Day. And every other holiday that is scheduled to conflict with the regular meeting of the saints takes a back seat to the Lord's Day. We obey Christ. If our extracurricular sports activities want to penalize us for not showing up to the game or practice, we are free from that guilt. It should not bother bother us because Christ is our head. It's the Lord's Day. It's His gift to us. They are not our head. If our employer, think about this, if our employer just can't seem to find anyone to work for the two hours that I want to be worshiping with the saints, then I need to find another employer. Or the business is just, just going to have to go under, right? Because they are not my head. Christ is my head. And for those of you who are in that situation, I know it's difficult. We'll pray that the Lord helps to provide a new, a new employer. Or at least to open up a new schedule for that. But feel no guilt. Feel no shame. Christ is your head. Christ is your head. What do members do? Secondly, it is our gift, our privilege, and responsibility Number two, to submit to the elders of the church. Hebrews 13, 17, we've talked about this last week. Members <clears throat> submit to the leadership and they obey them. Do you hear that? Members submit. Brothers and sisters, we committed to this in our constitution. Members commit to their elders and they obey them. Members don't make the jobs of the elders difficult. Why? Because the Bible says this would be no benefit for, benefit to them. It doesn't help your leader to be a better leader when you are making their job difficult. That's simple knowledge. Members are dedicated. Did you see what the Bible says there? Those who were added to the number, they were dedicated to the teachings of the apostles. They were dedicated. They were holding fast to their teachings, cherishing them, not taking their teachings for granted. Listen. And don't take offense to this. It's what I've noticed as I've been kind of uh, teaching halftime. They were not more interested in babies than in the preaching of God's word. They were not more interested in who's walking in or who's walking out more than God's word. They were not all of a sudden, as someone is preaching God's word, more interested in something they're reading in God's word or some other reading material other than God's word. They are devoted to the teachings of the apostles, teachings of their elders, teachings of their leaders. Brothers and sisters, we could say much more about these things. And we have. Go back and listen to our sermons on uh, leadership and elders. Be dedicated to the teachings that are coming forth from this pulpit. Respect and appreciate other preachings. Praise God for that. But your elders have been placed in your life for a specific reason. When your elders are preaching... Hear God's word with reverence and respect the preacher who's delivering it. Amen. Why? Because oversight is a gift from Christ. It is a gift to have overseers who will confront our sin, who will confront our waywardness, who will watch over our souls. Let us rejoice and fully submit to that gift because it is it is a gift that Christ has provided for the church. Moving on. Number three. It is our gift, privilege and responsibility 
to receive and affirm new members. It is our gift, our privilege, and responsibility to receive and affirm new members. What does the church do? The church receives as a gift, as a privilege, and as a responsibility. The church receives and affirms new members into their number. According to what? According to Matthew 16, where Christ states that upon Peter's confession, he would build his church and that one would be bound or one would be loosed based upon that positive, true confession. Also consider Matthew chapter 18, where Christ describes how the identifiable members of the church must deal with sin in the church. The keys of the kingdom have been given to the church and the church has been charged with the gift and privilege and responsibility of affirming or denying one's confession of faith. If it is a true confession, truly displaying the gospel, truly confessing the gospel, then you are affirmed. If it is a false confession, you are denied. Therefore, listen close, it is a church. The church chooses whom it will accept into their number. The church does that. The church chooses whom it will baptize, whom it will receive into their fellowship. The elders, uh, they play an important role in guiding and governing this process. But ultimately, it's the church. The church collectively chooses who is in the church. And they do so as they obey Christ. This is the responsibility of the church. It's your gift. It's your privilege. Uh, There are a number of places beyond Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 where we see the responsibility of the church to receive new members. We've already seen Acts 2, 37 through 47 of the number received into the church. We've already looked at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, where there is an identifiable number who have gathered and who have collectively chosen a deacon and done so by committee. That is, by the raising of hand. The whole congregation receives a new deacon in that particular chapter. As confessors come to the church and seek membership, they are added to the number. And at a bare minimum, when people are coming to the church, what do we look for? We look for fruit. We look for those who are coming into the church, and as they are here, we're just getting to know them, we're seeing this individual is confessing Christ, and as far as I can tell, he seems to be bearing the fruit of someone who truly confesses Christ and who is truly saved. They are not like the individual who stormed out of our narrow road meeting a few weeks back. Uh, That didn't seem like real fruit. But there are others who are showing up that we are meeting and who are kind. And it seems like there is true fruit that is pouring out of their lives. And eventually you will have the ultimate say of whether or not you will receive them into your number. So we judge faith, but we also judge practice. It is your gift, your privilege, and your responsibility. Insofar as we can judge... The church determines who is inside and who is outside based upon one's confession and the fruit coming from that confession. The elders do not decide who they will add to the church. The elders do not decide who they will subtract from the church. It's funny what people say to me often, "Uh, Pastor, don't excommunicate me. That's not my job. That's the rest of the church's job. I may recommend it. But it's the church's job on whether or not you will be removed or added to the church. The keys of the kingdom have not been given to the elders. They've been given to the church. And the church must exercise that gift, privilege, and responsibility. Elders do not have the right to announce to the church, uh, This is so-and-so. He is, she is the new member of your church. That's not our right. The elders uh, 
we have the right to be a part of the process, but we do not decide who is in and who is out. It is, if the whole church decides who it will include in the church, the church also decides who it will exclude from the church. And we'll deal with uh, excommunication church discipline on our last point. Number four, it is the gift, privilege, and responsibility to elect, listen to this, new elders and deacons. Gift, responsibility, gift, privilege, and responsibility of the church to elect new elders and deacons. We saw this last week in Acts chapter 6 where there was a number that gathered and according to the assembly, according to those who were gathering, they made a vote. We see that they chose, they being the number, that is the church, not the elders. It was the church that chose a new deacon. Those who gathered were those who decided. The elders were guiding that process, governing that process to make sure it was done the right way. But it was the church who considered and it was the church who decided. This is your gift. This is your liberty. This is your responsibility. If Christ has given this gift, uh, this privilege, this responsibility to the members of the church, it cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken away. The elders do not have the power to declare, brothers and sisters, here's your new deacon. Here is your new elder. The church has the power and the right to call its own deacons and its own elders. And we are a part of that process uh, in governing and guiding that process. I can't say to you and say, uh, here's this new man. He will be your new elder deacon. I can recommend, but I can't declare this is your new elder. This is your new deacon. We don't believe, listen to this, we don't believe the local church is run by a board. I'm talking fast, aren't I? It's because you messed me up when I said seven points. <sighs> I'm trying to go fast for you. We don't believe the church should be run by a board. A board who scurries the country looking for a pastor to hire. Who flies in that pastor to be interviewed by the board. And then the board decides whether or not they will hire this person to be the new pastor of that church. The church is then introduced to the new overseer. Here's your new pastor. But he's not really the overseer. The board is the overseer. Brothers and sisters, it's the way many large corporations run businesses. Not the way Christ has called his church to be run. This is the way many large churches in this city in this country operate. This is the way some so-called reformed churches so-called operate. Boards do not elect elders. The church elects elders. It is your gift, your, your privilege, and your responsibility. Do not let it be taken away from you. What about elders? Uh, so then how are elders brought in? Paul says to Titus, ordain elders in every city. So then isn't it elders who appoint and ordain elders? This is in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, by the way. Why would we teach and why would, uh, and even if you go to the, the, the chapter on the church in our confession, our confession teaches that elders are chosen with the consent of the congregation. The congregation consents to the choosing of elders. Now, our confession uses Acts 14.23 as a proof text for why and how the church consents. It is the church's uh, election to, to elect a new elder. 
So why would our confession use Acts 14.23? The reason why is because if we look to the original language, the word that we have there for when they had appointed is actually one word. And it is the word for raising one's hand in a deliberate assembly. That is, when they gathered, they took a vote. The people chose by raising their hand and giving consent to a motion that was proposed, if that makes sense. That would be what we call voting. When they had appointed for themselves or when there had been a deliberate process to which elders had been appointed, there was a deliberation, meaning this. There was an assembly, not just one person, not even a board. They gathered together. They took a vote. And those who were suggested were elected by the congregation. Does that make sense? You're going to have to go back and hear that in slow motion. I know. They are appointed elders, deacons. They are appointed through a deliberative process by the church. Again, elders, we play an important role in in guiding and governing that process. But it is your Gift, your privilege, and your responsibility. The Apostle Paul told Titus, you are involved in this process. Elect elders in every city. Be involved in that process. But not without the consent of the deliberative body, which is the church. Again, we guide and we govern that process, but not without your consent. This is your gift. This is your privilege. Think about this. In the beginning of the book of Acts, the brethren... They chose an apostle to replace Judas. The apostles then selected deacons. The deacons were selected by the church. Elders were then selected. They were selected by the church. Members are accepted, and they are accepted by the church. This is all throughout the scriptures. Number five. This will be another short one. It is your gift, privilege, and responsibility. Here it is. To contribute material goods to the church. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 13 and 14. It is a liberty, gift, privilege, responsibility of the members of the church to give offerings to the work of the ministry for the relief of the poor and for the work of the ministry. I say that to the work of the ministry for the relief of the poor. We call this a gift, privilege, and responsibility. Few people view giving money as a gift. They rather see it in the opposite. If you give me money, it's a gift. Not if I give money, it's not a gift. But the scriptures teach that it is a gift, a privilege, and a responsibility to give to the work of the ministry. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. Listen to this. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. We see here, brothers and sisters, in these verses that the, the giving of offerings by members of the church is not only a benefit for the minister who receives it, but it's also a benefit for those who are giving. It is from that perspective that we consider giving to be not only a gift, privilege, and responsibility, but also we see this as a blessing. It's a gift. Why? Because Christ has commanded it. It's a blessing for us. 
there is a blessing in obedience, but there's also a blessing in, in the giving itself by comfortably supporting ministers. And I have my own job, by the way. In comfortably supporting ministers, we enable the minister who watches over our soul to bless us, listen, with a freedom that they would not otherwise have. And that is a blessing that we would not otherwise enjoy. Does that make sense? When we free up our ministers to focus only on prayer and the preaching and teaching of God's word, it actually benefits us. We have, have, we have grown up in a culture, and, and I'm sure it's been this way for as long as we can remember, or as long as there's been time, when money has been abused by those who are giving generously and giving faithfully. But just because money has been abused and preachers have abused that money does not take away from your gift, your responsibility, and your privilege to continue to give. Regardless of what's been done by others, it is to your benefit that your preachers are in some ways freed up so that they can focus more on the ministry of the word. It will benefit the church. We only sometimes see it as it's only going to benefit you. You drive around in this, you fly around in that, you're dressed up in this. That is not what the support of ministry and ministers is all about. We have been, we have been disenfranchised, if you will, by word of faith preachers and beyond who have abused congregations and have abused funds that has been given to them. Don't let that dissuade you from giving and giving faithfully to what God commands. What one sows, another reaps. We sow into the ministry. And what do we reap back? The ministry. We sow into the ministry of the word. What do we receive back? Ministry of the word. Where will it come from? Who, who will have the time to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word if those people are only worried about how they are going to survive? How they are going to make ends meet to provide for themselves? Who will be our ministers? Who will be those who are devoted to prayer if our ministers and those who are devoted to prayer are spending all of their time wondering how they're going to make ends meet? The Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians uses the example of an oxen who treads the grain. He said, let that oxen eat. And he relates it to ministers. Those who preach the gospel, they should be provided for by the gospel. Paul says, those who do not provide, those who do not give to the church for the benefit that it provides... They deceive themselves and they mock God. How, how do they do these? This is serious language. How, how does someone deceive themselves and mock God? This way. It's mocking God to stand in the field. Pray for growth without planting a seed and watering it. That's mocking God. God told us to work the ground and eat from it. It would be mocking God to pray for a church and for its growth and for its provision without giving toward its growth, giving toward its provision. We're fooling ourselves and we're mocking God. If we say the church will be okay, even if I don't give or the church will be okay, here's a buck. We mock God. The Lord has commanded us to give to the church. So that the church may be maintained and advanced. 
There is nothing in Scripture in reference to giving. Listen to me, everybody. There is nothing in Scripture in reference to giving that says, as the Lord leads you. I heard some hums right now. Why? Because you've heard that over and over again. And why do we hear that from the pulpit? Because we don't want to offend you. And in that, we don't want you to think we're trying to get your money. But if we've been faithful in teaching everything else, why would we not be faithful in what God teaches about money as well? There is nothing of as the Lord leads you. We're not trying to soften what God has said. There is only commands, not as the Lord leads you. Or however you feel. There's commands, not feelings. We must give. As the Lord has prospered you, not as he has led you. Why are you so quiet? <laughs> yeah, different people give different amounts, but we must give. Because this is a command. And listen to this. Elders are also overseers over that as well. It's not just a privilege, but it's a duty as well. Giving offering is one measure of obedience and maturity for a member in Christ's church. If we have members that are committed to the church and have made a commitment in the Constitution saying, I will give, and they are not giving, well, we must find out what's going on. Is everything okay? Why are you not contributing to the work of the ministry? And if they're just saying, because I don't want to, then there's a problem there. There's a bigger issue if we're saying, I just don't want to. There's a neglect there that must be taken care of. It's something the elders must oversee, and at times it can raise a red flag. It's a sensitive subject, I know, because these things have been mistreated in the past. Not here. Not here. I drive my work truck to church. My wife drives the... Ch- my, my wife is here, thank God. My wife drives her, her truck, and two of the hubcaps have already fallen off. I think you've got one more hanging on for dear life. There's no abuse of money here. It's for the work of the ministry. And we don't have a lot of people here. The Lord is providing for us each month for us to continue to be in a place where even though it's raining outside, someone just turned on the AC. (laughs) Praise be to God. Those abuses must not deter us from the obedience to Christ's commands. That's okay. It's on. Leave it on. That's fine. Just messing around. We are commanded to give of our first fruits. With gratefulness in our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our gift. It is our privilege. It is our responsibility. Number six. It is, this will be a short one. It is our gift, privilege, and responsibility to serve in the church. To serve in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, no, 1 Corinthians chapter, in 1 Corinthians we learn that the body of Christ has a diversity of gifts. Talents, blessings, benefits, and strengths. And we are to take those talents that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. And we are to serve the church according to the church's needs. As well as the gifts and graces the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. If he's given us gifts, if he's given us graces, use those to serve the church. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, John says, Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Uh, this particularly is a liberty and a gift that in, in many ways we can show our love to the church. We can show our love to the church by using our gifts to bless the church. Uh, I, I think of our brother Anthony, just off the top of my head, who in so many ways has blessed the church in so many ways that we don't always get to see and, and recognize right away. 
But he has offered himself constantly. What can I do? And then doing things often without anybody asking him. And I can say that for all of you here in the church. Those of you who painted the the nursery. Those of you who are working on things in the foyer. Those of you who are trying to get the fellowship hall together. uh, In many different ways, you are all serving and loving the church with gifts and talents that you have. And that is wonderful for the church to see and to receive. It is wonderful for the church to, to care for one another. And we care for one another in a variety of ways. In a variety of shapes and forms. But it is all a privilege to do so. Can I say to you this? Uh, Don't grow weary in your service to the church. Sometimes it will seem like you're not being appreciated. Sometimes it will seem like no one cares. Do it all to the glory of God, all for the service of Christ. And for those who are doing these things, make sure to display your thankfulness to them. Make sure to just say, man, thank you for that. That that blesses me. I appreciate that. Uh, Sister Ophelia, who is so faithful in giving us thank you cards. Uh, I feel sometimes like, Like I'm a movie star. I always have to sign something. And I love it. (laughs) It's wonderful to get my autograph on so many different things. But I know that for those who are receiving those those cards, it's a wonderful gift. It's it's a wonderful gift to see those cards and, and people that you've committed your lives to. To have written something kind on there. And she remembers all of our birthdays. All of those special occasions. And praise be to God for all of the ways that you all serve the church. Finally, seven. It is the gift and privilege and responsibility of the church. Here it is. To participate in the discipline of the church. This is going to be three subpoints. To, to participate in the discipline of the church. This will be letter A. The church. We participate in the discipline of the church. How so? Privately. And through public rebukes. So in private and public rebukes. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15 through 17. And here is the word of our Lord. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter or every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you. This is important as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be shall have been loosed in heaven. It is a privilege for the members of the church to be accountable to one another. If someone sins against you, we have been commanded to go to that person who has offended us or who we have offended either way and to call them on their sin. This is done in private. This is done in private. If I or we have won our brother, the matter, the matter is, is settled. Things have, uh, Things can die down. If one has repented, there is no need to go any further. But if there is sin and there is no repentance of sin, that matter is escalated and then taken to the church. Taken to two or three, but then taken to the church eventually. If they will not repent, the church is to regard that person. Who does this? The church is to regard that person as an outsider. The church excludes that person. The church treats them as a as a Gentile or as a tax collector. One who is not a part of the faith. They are excommunicated. 
They are separated from fellowship. They are excluded from the body. The church is the one who is, who has or takes is in the final step of this excommunication. It's the church. The church has the final word on this matter, not the elders. It's amazing to me how when someone wants to leave the church, they go to the elders. They don't go to the church. Or they'll call one particular person that they like in the church or who they are close to in the church and say, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Christ has commanded us to go to the church and for this matter to be settled ultimately by the church. No member, this is going to strike, I know, no member has the liberty of cutting themselves off from the body. Not according to what Christ has commanded. I'll say that again, because some of you have never heard that before. No member has the liberty to cut themselves off from the body. It is ultimately the church who cuts them off from the body. It's not the member who cuts himself off. It's the church, the body, who cuts them off and saying, not a part of us. It may sound weird. But no one has the liberty to say they are no longer all of a sudden going to be a member of the church. Well, we say, well, how is that possible? They can do whatever they want. How do they enter the church? On their own? Or through the acceptance of the body? The church affirmed them. The church affirmed their membership. And likewise, if they're going to be removed, it's through the body. The body removes them from their fellowship. You and I, we don't get to all of a sudden say, I'm not going to be a member anymore. That would mean... The command of Christ here in Matthew chapter 18, we can just cut, cut it out of the Bible. If church discipline doesn't mean anything, then why is this passage even here? If this process means nothing, it's impossible. If we're to obey this command, it's impossible to obey the command to discipline If we do not submit ourselves to the church for discipline. See that? It's impossible for the church to have the final say if the individual says, no, I'm going to have the final say. Well, you have just made yourself higher than the command of Christ by saying, I'll do what I want to do. Or here's what, what some people do. Well, I just won't come back. And now you can't discipline me. Well, that kind of works against them, doesn't it? Because... They've said, I've committed to this, but I'm not going to commit to church discipline, so I won't come back. And by not coming back, they show, well, you were never really a part of the church then. And what does the church do in their judgment? They no longer recognize their confession as a true confession. Now, that's a big one. The church ultimately comes up with a judgment that says, we do not recognize that person as a believer. They may go to another church. But the church here has looked at them and say, you are not in good standing. Why? Because you have avoided the very commands of Christ and not submitted to it. That's a big deal. We no longer affirm your confession as being a true confession. Why? Because you have not submitted to the process that Christ has set out. You are a rebel. We don't like that, do we? It's what, but here's what it does. Here's what it does for the church. For the church, it makes us take our membership more seriously. It makes us say, 
They're not playing. And here's what we've done in the church. We've made it a game. We've made it. Go wherever you want. Yeah, no big deal. They left. Hey, hey, I saw you at the. Hey, how's it going? You're going to. Okay, good. That's not the way Christ has designed his church to be. We'll get more into that in a moment. If the church removes that person from membership. Before that person is even allowing themselves to be sought after, to be restored. Then the church's judgment is you are removed from membership. And we no longer recognize your confession as a true confession. You know what's going on here? Through this command, Christ is protecting protecting us from ourselves. Through this command, Christ is protecting us from ourselves. I've been in church for 40 years. All my life. My wife hates when I say 40 because I'm not 40 yet, but I'm almost 40. I just round it up. Rarely have I seen this played out in a biblical way. More often than not, people just go and do whatever they want to do. There is no submission to leaders. There is no accountability to the, to the church. There, there is no submission to church discipline. People just do what they want. But when it does happen, it is a beautiful thing. Subpoint uh, number two, which is B, A, and then B. The church participates in order, in, this, in discipline, in order to restore and remove. What is, the, pers- what is the, the purpose of this private and public rebuke? <clears throat> it's to restore. Ultimately, guys, we focus on the negative, but it is ultimately to restore. It's ultimately to restore the sinning member, to bring them back into right fellowship. Remember that in Matthew chapter 18, here's the step. Go to your brother if he sinned against you. Try to win them back. Oh, if that doesn't work, bring a few people with you. Try to win them back. If that doesn't work, bring it before the church. Try to win them back. If that doesn't work, hey, final step. They're out. But but what things were led up to, were leading up to the final step? An attempt to win back. An attempt to restore. Our desire is not to excommunicate. Our desire ultimately is to restore. We don't want to chase people out. We want them to stay in. And Christ has commanded us to seek with all of our heart to try to restore. Here's the problem. Some people don't want to be restored. I don't like something that's going on in the church. Let's talk about it. Nah, I'm good. I'm gone. (laughs) Well, you're fracturing the church. You're not helping this process. We can work through it. But we've got to work together. People would rather you break for them than all of us bend a little bit. And there have been many people, especially when we became newly reformed church, there were many people who came into this church, saw us in a vulnerable state. We didn't know, uh, we didn't have a confession. We really didn't know what it all meant. We didn't have a constitution. We didn't have a lot of things. They came in trying to take advantage. And really, we were kind of unclear about some of the things that we believed. And they would rather have us change. They rather wanted us to change to what they believed. So in a sense, we were joining them. They weren't joining us. We want to help in this process of discipline, not to triumph over people, not to say, ha ha, I won. Not to rejoice in their sin, but to help, to rescue, to restore. That's priority number one. The only way you get excommunicated is if you refuse to repent every step of the way. There are cases 
such as uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15, where the Apostle Paul says, take note of that person who's acting this way and have nothing to do with them. Listen to this, but don't regard them as an enemy. You hear that? Go back and read that later. Take note of that person, have nothing to do with them, but don't regard them as an enemy. Let's explain what that might mean, because we're talking about church discipline. This could mean that as you're going through the process, do not regard that individual as an enemy, but still regard them as a brother in Christ. This means this. There are people who must be removed from the church, but not necessarily excommunicated because they are a betrayer of Christ. Someone who has denied the faith. That person we must completely uh, have nothing to do with, right? Let me say real quick. When we have nothing to do with them, we are delivering them over to Satan, as as Paul says in the book of Corinthians, and, and they are to feel the weight of that separation. There's also another degree or another element of this where someone is not denied the faith, but they are walking waywardly. And they are refusing to be corrected. You hear that? There's two different kinds. So if they are walking waywardly and will not be corrected, we do have reason to doubt they are truly a sheep of Christ. But it seems to be a case where they they seem to love the Lord. Listen how I say this. But they are very wrong in the matter. You hear that? They seem to love the Lord. Here it is. But they are very wrong in a matter. And they refuse to repent about that matter. So we cannot allow them to stay in membership because they will not be corrected. They are to be regarded as a brother. But here, here, here's the point that I'm getting to. But they are excluded so that they can be ashamed of their refusal to repent. Their refusal to be corrected. If someone does this, you don't just keep hanging out with them. Did you hear what that I said? I'm sure you heard it. That was loud enough. If someone does this, you don't just keep hanging out with them. Why? Because that then invalidates what the church has done. It invalidates the church's judgment. You're saying, eh, it'd be like saying, I know what the church has judged, but I don't care. Let's just hang out. We won't even talk about church. We'll leave it off the side. That's not appropriate. We want to make a distinction between those who are goats and those who are wayward, but we must not treat the wayward as if they are okay too. I've heard before, I know they're wrong, but I love them. Great. Love them. And every time you call them or talk to them, love them enough to call them to repent. You don't just say, let's go watch a movie. Hey, the game's on. Come on over. Because you're invalidating, you're you're stomping on what the church has judged. And you being a part, listen, if you are a part of that, that congregation, you now show yourself almost in opposition to what the church has has decided. Let me say this, not just because they left your church. Right. It's not like, hey, our church is the only church. And if you're not a part of this church and you're not a part of the church, that's not the point. The point is refusing to be corrected. The point is refusing to repent. Go to another church. 
But we will still we will still not recognize you as being in good standing here. Well, they seem to be doing fine. That's fine. Good for them. If they're doing so fine, let them come back and make things right. That's the right way to do things. People don't have integrity anymore, though. They don't. It's an all about me. I'm old school. I'm 40, but I was raised by an old school cat. People don't have integrity anymore. Let me move on and get off my soapbox, as daddy used to say. What's the goal in this uh, church process, discipline process? What's the goal? The goal is to preserve the unity and profession of the church. Uh, The goal is to preserve the purity, I should say, and the profession of the church, the purity of the church. If we know in the church and those who are coming in that we take church discipline seriously, what are incoming members and those who are here going to think? We care about Christ church. We will not have Christ church sullied by sin and do nothing about it. We will not wink our eye at sin as if it's no big deal. We will as a church confront it. Because we are the bride of Christ and we must protect the purity of the the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. The one that he won for himself in his resurrection. He loved us in order to make us blameless and to present us to himself. He is purifying his bride. We are his bride. We are to be holy, a pure bride, uh, fitted for the call and love of our Lord and husband. This means that if the church permits unrepentant sin, then we do destroy the purity of our confession. Jesus has called us to turn from our sin, to fight against it. And where we do not see a fight and struggle against sin, we destroy the purity of our confession. In 1 Timothy 5.20, Paul says that we are to rebuke. Listen to how he says. Paul tells Timothy, rebuke sin. Listen to this. Listen. In the presence of all. Who is all? The church. The assembly. Those who are gathered are to hear that there is sin that must be repented of. Uh, Think about this. What if in our gathering, let's say our church meeting, our members meeting, there was someone who was unrepented of sin. And we said, this person is not repenting of sin. They are therefore going to be judged. We've done that. We've done that in our church meetings. And therefore, those who are gathering in those meetings know we're not playing. Why? Because Christ is not playing. He's commanded us to call out sin. Because it's deadly to the church. Many of us would leave, our, leave a church if our sin was called out. And that's why Paul commands it. So that we would avoid it at all cost. Those same persons who see fear when sin is rebuked would also see that sin. Would also see that sin forgiven if they would repent of it. If they would repent of it. All of this depends on one's repentance and all of this depends upon us maintaining the purity of the church. That's the purpose of it all. Maintain the purity of the church. Brothers and sisters, these are all of our gifts, our privileges and our responsibilities and we are to obey them. Promises have been attached to all of these things. And here's one of the promises that Christ has given us. That through all of this that we do, he will be with us. Through all of the ways that we obey these commands, these gifts, these privileges, responsibilities, Christ will be with us. 
Brothers and sisters, we know that Christ has promised to be with us until the end of the age. And he will be with us as we practice and enjoy every single one of the gifts that he's given to the church. Let's pray.